Dharma Bites is brought to you by Free Buddhist Audio, the Dharma for real life. Our work is funded entirely by donations from our generous listeners. If you would like to help us keep this free, come and join us at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash community. Thank you and happy listening. So, anicetta, impermanence, change, transience, fleetingness, evanescence, uh, the, the demon yama. I've been using the prospect of standing before you at this very minute as a lever to motivate myself to reflect on anicetta regularly and systematically for the last, last few weeks. I must say I've found it very useful. I don't think I've thought about Anicitta uh, as much and for as long as I have in the last few weeks. It's been very useful to me. At this very moment, I'm a little bit concerned that I may have got the best of the deal rather than yourselves. But um, I do have some things to say, and I hope that some of them will be of some interest. The other thought I've been having is that it's actually quite difficult to think of anything new to say about Anicitta. Uh, Take this, for example. Seeing conditioned things as impermanent does not mean seeing them first as actually existing and afterwards as no longer existing, but rather in reducing them to an absolutely continuous flow or pure becoming, in connection with which the terms being and non-being are meaningless. So that's what I found when I reread chapter 11 of The Three Jewels, which um, seemed to me to say almost everything about, that one could say about Anicitta. And I must admit, it still feels quite hard to talk about something which is not a thing. Well, I'd like to, I'd like to start off by saying a little bit about what I've been thinking in relation to why the Buddha taught Anicitta. I suppose I believe that he was offering us a metaphor, temporal and spatial metaphor, which, as it were, stands below the concept of conditionality, or pratitya samupada. Anicitta is therefore a concept we can use more easily, I think, than pratitya samupada. Pratitya samupada is harder to get at, uh, to put it mildly. So, anicitta signifies the flux that we, in our terrible insecurities, try to fix, try to pin down. I'd like to paraphrase the Buddha's conditional teachings about anicitta. I can uh, summarize this in, uh, in three ways. First of all, if you watch your experience very carefully you'll be able to hear, touch, taste, smell, see, mentally perceive phenomena changing and maybe get an inkling of conditionality. Secondly, if you try to to fix, to appropriate a bit of this flux, sooner or later you'll come off badly. You'll suffer. Now, I know that this is a very popular, very well-known quotation, but I hope you'll forgive me for 
for reciting it to you since it's his birthday uh, on the 28th of this month, dear old codger William Blake. He who binds himself to a joy doth the winged life destroy, but he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. And the third point, what is more, if you look really carefully, you'll see that you as the observer are subject to the same process, to Anishita too. So we can provisionally think of the perceptual situation as consisting of the witness and the witnessed. Both are involved in continual change. So I've been reflecting on Anichita and um, I received some encouragement with this when I read that it is said to be the most effective reflection that you can do. It's the elephant of, uh, of meditations, of reflections. You find in the words of my perfect teacher, um, Patra Rinpoche says, in the jungle... The elephant has the biggest footprint, and in meditation, the greatest mark, the greatest effect, is left by meditating on impermanence. So I've been doing some of this, bringing my chitta to bear upon it as best as I can. I've been looking at many questions which have been occurring to me uh, as I've been thinking about it, and indeed, I still have got quite a few questions that I haven't been able to answer. But... Such question as such questions as this, um, it's said to be one of the three marks of conditioned existence, of samsara. So, is it if it's a mark of our narrow experience of reality? Is it not a mark of reality itself? And if not, how do we know? So, that's one of the questions I've been asking. Okay, so the last. For longer than the last few weeks, long that I've been thinking about this, I've been cycling around the Vantis um, system of meditation. That means I've been trying to do the six-element practice every week uh, on a Friday, as it happens. And uh, I know that it's a practice which is often thought of as being the most useful for addressing uh, the, the matter of anatta. But, um, and it, of course, Anichita is very much bound, with it, bound up with it. And I've had some quite useful clues from doing uh, the six-element practice, how I could best um, approach the reflection on Anichita. Um, you know, just as we do with the six-element practice, we think of what's happening in here and we think of what's happening out there or what seems to be happening in those two areas of our experience. I've been doing the same with, um, with reflection on Anichita. And also, of course, I've been looking to see what reflections arise from those two contemplations. So out there, well, I've really been enjoying this lately because I've been watching the changing beauty of autumn. Uh, week before last, I went for a, uh, a few days' walk on the Offers Dyke Walk in near Knighton, and um, in Paris and uh, it was a beautiful experience I, mean, I really had a lovely time the smell of the woods the colour of the trees the sunshine coming through the trees mm-hmm. so it wasn't a great deal of sunshine but when it did uh, that's what happened and uh, 
Remember some other things, like um, remember a, a mat of crab apples um, doing what crab apples do when they've fallen off the crab apple trees in the autumn below, below, the, below the tree. So very, very, I was struck by lots of beauty as I did that walk. And during that time, during that time, I reminded myself how much I had, I used to enjoy reading Keats's Ode to Autumn. I'm sure many of you will know it, maybe, probably by heart, for all I know. But it's, it's, um, it did take on quite a strong significance as I, as I, uh, as I walked that walk. It starts, you may remember, where are the songs of spring? Aye, where are they? Think not of them, thou hast thy music too. It's talking about the music of autumn, and I found that a very compelling metaphor, and I'll return to it in a moment. And after that, I came across um, a poem by Thomas Hood. He had also written a poem to autumn, and he says, I... Um, I saw old autumn in the misty morn stand shadowless like silence, listening to silence. And silence was very much a feature of that walk. It was lots of times it was very, very quiet and there was nobody else around and uh, just very, very quiet and very good conditions for contemplating the change that I could, the changes I could see in autumn. So I've been having a good time uh, looking at that part of what is out there. Uh, in here, I mean, that's, in a way, that's pretty mysterious, but we have pretty good guidance, don't we, from the project of the Mahasatipatthana Sutta, uh, body, breath, feelings, and thoughts. And, of course, we've got much more detail, highlighted detail, in that meditation in the 13th stage of the Anapanasati Sutta, which particularly applies to, uh, which particularly recommends uh, reflection on impermanence. So during this period, when I was thinking about autumn, I was thinking about the, the waning and waxing of the seasons, the ebb and flow of human experience. And, um, yeah, lots of thoughts, some of them quite melancholy, some of them quite invigorating. Uh, I was thinking how flowers fade, bananas go black, Food goes off, mechanisms seize, files corrupt, hands wrinkle, people and places become scarcely recognisable. Um, and the flow, the growth, the, the waxing. Spring, which is also very much celebrated by poets, it's also anichita. Flowers grow, children grow, uh, acorns grow into oaks. And there's that, I found that lovely line in Kabir, um, tr uh, translated by Tagore. The flower blooms for the fruit. Now we can try and... This is, this is this was my experience of the waxing and waning, the ebb and flow. Uh, and of course, what we often do, as I have been doing, is we can try to fix either of these processes. We can um, appropriate, try to appropriate either of those processes. I suppose we do try to... We do get attached to anicata. We do get attached to impermanence. We do get, we bank on our children growing up, for example. We expect them to, we're very attached to the idea of their growth. I'm less clear how we get attached to decay, although I have got some ideas about that. But it's occurred to me that this self-centred melancholy that you can see in some poetry is a, is a little bit like that. It's a sort of attachment to decay. But when all said and done, the very use of the term decay as a concept in this 
in, this, uh, in relationship to this is really a way in which we try to fix it. Because um, we're even constructing the ebb and flow, the waxing and waning. There's not really an ebb and flow. It's really just change. We ascribe the attributes of ebb and flow. And we can see that in our experience sometimes, can't we? When we look at the two sides of an experience more closely, let's, for example, when old habits die, maybe a habit we've been trying to eradicate, or one which just goes of its own accord, and we experience a change for the better. So that experience contains within it both the waning and the waxing. And of course, what we try to do in our practice is to channel that flow towards positive transformation. I think this indicates how much, how much I uh, need to, to try to move beyond conceptualization, to move beyond the ideas of, of ebb and flow. My views hinder me, obviously. Um, they're deeply ingrained, and uh, they're going to take some digging out. But it is, I think it is important to me to try to move beyond, to get a sense of what it's like to move beyond conceptualization. And here I'm talking about moving from wrong view to right view to what we might call no view. An example of wrong view in connection with Anicca is what happens, is, it's the eternalist version, change doesn't happen universally. There is something a bit left untouched, a bit left untouched, that's perennial, eternal even. And I've been hugely enjoying uh, Richard Dawkins' uh, lambasting of the God delusion in, uh, the, in his book of that name. And uh, more recently, no, no, uh, not more recently, uh, in fact, uh, a long time ago, I came across, uh, I came across a four-page essay by, um, by a journalist called Mencken, H.L. Mencken, American conservative um, journalist, uh, essays a four-page essay called The Funeral March. And in it he lists 138 powerful gods who are dead. Uh, They were gods of the highest standing and dignity, gods of civilized peoples, worshipped and believed in by millions. All were theoretically omnipotent, omniscient and immortal, and all are dead. Uh, So, yep. Ozymandias wasn't on the list, but he could have been. Maybe Keats just made him up. Um, him and his cold sneer. Uh, but I think um, the... Yeah, and, and of course that, that, that kind of line of argument very much appeals to Dawkins. When somebody uh, was talking to somebody about uh, his, his polemic recently, uh, he was explaining that, yes, he does believe fervently that those 138 gods are dead, but he's just gone one more. So we're trying to move, I'm trying to move from, from the wrong view to right view. A right view here would be, could be described as, well, change is universal. I believe that change is, uni- change is universal. As far as I can see, as far as I can see, there is nothing that doesn't change, even if it changes extremely slowly. And then come to no view. This will be represented by this statement. There's no such thing as change. You can't even say it just is. 
And uh, in the poetic version of the Heart Sutra, of course, we have, nor does it wax or wane, which is a poetic, but perhaps in some people's view, not a very satisfactory translation of Anuna Paripuna. Okay, so most of us need to operate on the level of conventional <coughs> truth. We're trying to move, I suppose. Well, I don't want to make presumptions on your behalf. I'm trying to move. Um, I'm trying to move away from wrong view towards to embrace right view, and I'm trying to get some sense of how I can keep the door open to move towards no view. To keep that way open seems very important to me. I don't want to get stuck with right view. And I need to do this with as warm a heart as possible because it's rather like pulling, continue trying to pull the carpet from under your own, your own feet. It's actually, um, you know, it feels quite scary. Now, in the course of my reflections <clears throat> on autumn and change, I have been feeling quite a lot more opened up by, these re- by this reflection and particularly more opened up to some of the poetry I've been reading, particularly some of the poetry about autumn. Poetry, after all, works by metaphor. I know all language does, really, but poetry uses metaphor ambiguously. It uses ambiguity. There's more, often more than one meaning. Concepts are more loosely held in poetry than, uh, than they often are um, in common speech. And poets are very good at this, very good indeed. And lots of, po- lots of poets have, um, of course, I mean, autumn has been an irresistible topic for most of the poems, poets that you can name, and mutability also. So I've um, mentioned that one of, of Keats, and I particularly like that, that, in a sense, that metaphor within a metaphor, where he talks about music, um, autumn having its music too, because it's a metaphor within a metaphor, so I, so I think. And I also discovered, well, I've, I've been looking, looking at poetry, which goes into this area, that um, Shelley is remarkable in this respect. I mean, he really does seem to have some handle on this that I didn't always believe he had. This from Shelley in his Hymn to Intellectual Beauty. The day becomes more solemn and serene when noon is past. There is a harmony in autumn and a luster in its sky, which though the summer is not heard or seen, as if it could not be, as if it had not been. A bit more from him in a moment. Um, And I'm sure most of you will know Lawrence's, um, it's a kind of polemic really, about the ship of death. He says, now it is autumn and the falling fruit and the long journey towards oblivion. Have you built your ship of death? Oh, have you? Oh, build your ship of death for you will need it. I think I'm going to, I've got so many of these because I got so into it that uh, I think I'm going to use up all my time with, with these um, quotations. But uh, I, can't, I can't pass on without mentioning Shakespeare's that that time of year thou mayest in me behold when yellow leaves or none or few do hang. That one's for a buy. Um, <clears throat> Keats again, The Human Seasons. And this is... this, this um, says a lot, I think, about the pensiveness, the mood, the pensive mood that one can get into as one contemplates change at this time of year. Quiet coves his soul had in its autumn, when his wings he furleth closed, contented so to look on mists in idleness, 
to let fair things pass by unheeded, unheeded as a threshold brook. I said I'd get back to Shelley, and this is for a particular reason, because I think he does seem to understand. Um, he seems to be sort of pointing towards no view. He says, this is in his uh, little poem, Mutability. He says, we feel, conceive or reason, laugh or weep, embrace fond woe or cast our cares away. It is the same, for be it joy or sorrow, that path of its departure still is free. Man's yesterday may ne'er be like his morrow. Naught may endure but mutability. So that particular line, that path of its departure still is free, basically saying is that we can't predict what's going to happen next from, uh, from, uh, from what's happened so far. So, oh dear. Um, okay, I'm going to go into a coda now. Um, I want to, I've talked about poetry. I just want to say something about music. I don't understand how music has this effect. I think it's something to do with its evanescence. It does conjure up images. It, um, it is suffused with emotion. Um, I become suffused with emotion as I listen to music. It changes. Its moods change. And it is, I think... Um, it's, it's, it's easy, easier to hold music uh, loosely in that way. So I find music a very helpful pointer. Meditation. I just want to say something about meditation. I've mentioned um, six element practice already. Uh, I've been um, interested in what Sona and Vijimala have been doing in their Breathworks project. They produced a number of uh, meditation CDs and I've, I've also heard... Sona talk about them and lead through them. It seemed to me that the kindly awareness practice that uh, they've recorded and that they introduce people to is a very clever synthesis of the Brahma Viharas. What they invite people to do is to recognize the ingredients of one's own experience for the pain or joy and hold them lightly in the whole context of one's experience from moment to moment pleasure, pain, pleasure, pain. And sometimes when I've been doing that practice and reflecting on it, I have had a, a sense that, um, well, some, some kind of sense of a picture um, towards anicitta, some kind of sense of being able to hang loose to it, to not to, be, not to take sides with it, there being no up or down, so to speak. I had wanted to say something about ritual, but um, particularly in the context of music and poetry, but I haven't got time. Um, except to say I think it's got huge possibilities for reflection on an Ichitar. And although I've, I've begun, and I know other people who are doing things with this, I think there's a, a, there's a, great, a great deal one, still one could do. Uh, so I will just, do like just to quote, close with one more quotation. This is also from Patrol Rinpoche. Uh, he says, in words of my perfect teacher, Impermanence is everywhere. Yet I still think things will last. I have reached the gates of old age, yet I still pretend I am young. Bless me and misguided beings like me, that we may truly understand impermanence. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the talk. 
please come and help us keep this free at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash community. And thank you. Thank you.